this talk is kind of like a part two of, um, I did a talk a couple of weeks ago about Jacob. I don't know, was anybody here? Put your hands up if you were here for that talk about Jacob. Hopefully this will make sense if you missed the first one, but you might want to check the first one out online because we do, in places, build on some sort of like conclusions that I drew a couple of weeks ago, but hopefully it'll make sense on its own. But we were looking at the story of this character called Jacob, who's in the book of Genesis, we'll read about him there, and um, we saw how for many years in his life, he had this characteristic personality trait of being a bit of a, a grasper. Um, he had this urge to try and sort of reach out and trick people and seize the things that he wanted in life. Um, and he was always pursuing his desires in that way. And it ended up causing a lot of um, problems for him. And what we did was we zoomed out from Jacob and we saw that actually that issue is not exclusive to the person of Jacob. It's an issue really for humanity. Probably all of us, to some degree, our flesh um, sort of desires and draws us away at times from trusting God, trusting that he will provide for us, trusting that he will bless us. And each of us at times have gone astray from that and tried to reach out and grasp for the things that our flesh long for. It's um, a, an age-old humanity problem. It's how, if you read the Bible, it's basically the mechanism of how sin began in the first place. Do you remember Adam and Eve were told not to eat that particular fruit um, in the Garden of Eden, but in their flesh, they, they ended up reaching out and grabbing hold of it, and, and, and humanity has been trapped in sin ever since, grasping out after our desires in different ways. So a couple of weeks ago, as we were looking at Jacob, we saw how in his story, um, in, in chapter 28 of Genesis, he ended up trapped in this place where um, he'd been reaching out and trying to grasp things and he'd ended up in a bit of a mess as a consequence. But that was the place where God encountered him and met him and gave him a vision that would help him move on. Um, and it was this vision of a stairway um, where he saw God's kingdom coming down from heaven um, and breaking into his reality. It was a picture of how God's blessing is not something that we should try and grasp and seize, but something that can only be given. And that was why I found one of those words particularly encouraging, that, that picture of this hand coming down, open-handed, filled with blessings. That was essentially um, the, the vision that Jacob saw. And that was the point where Jacob started to realize that life is not about what he could do just to reach and seize for his own things. It was about what God could bring to him. That was the start of his journey of sort of slowly beginning to trust God. But what we'll see as we continue his story today in Genesis is that that wasn't the end of his story. He continued to struggle. He continued to make unwise decisions his whole life. There were times where he sort of like relinquished control and handed stuff over to God, but then only to sort of snatch it back again um, a little while later. He couldn't shake off this kind of like grasper, trickster mentality and this tendency towards self-reliance. And what this did for Jacob was, basically for years, it stunted his growth into maturity in his relationship with God. I don't know if you remember um, uh, a while ago, John um, was preaching and he, and he, and he quoted um, a little story from a book by a chap called Pete Scazzero. Um, and it was about this guy who went to his pastor, true story, and he had had the realization, he explained, that although he'd been a Christian for a couple of decades, 
He wasn't a 20-year-old Christian. He was just um, a one-year-old Christian, but he'd done it 20 times. He'd gone round and round and round in circles, and he'd never really matured. And um, that, in a picture, in a nutshell, really, was what Jacob was like. He just went round and round in this circle. But as we look at it and as we consider it tonight, I want to ask, maybe that's some of us too. I'd say personally, in my life, um, as it come, in, t- in terms of maturing, um, I've matured certainly physically at quite a slow rate. Um, I'm still hoping to, to grow a bit taller at some point in my life, um, but um, I can't yet grow um, a beard. Um, in fact, um, a little while, about a week ago, I was out in a restaurant and I tried to order a beer with my meal and the waitress said, have you got any ID? Um, and I said, um, no, is that going to be a problem? And she was like, yep. <laughs> so, lemonade, there we go. So, a bit slow on the physical development, but also a bit slow on the, like, my sense of humour hasn't really changed since I was at sixth form. Um, and that always creates problems whenever Abby and I try and, like, watch a film together, because I'm like, dumb and dumber again? And she's like, no, that's not very good. <laughs> now, I don't know how how big a deal those things are, but, but what I do take seriously is my maturing spiritually in Christ. That's something that I, that I long to do, um, and, and that's something that I sometimes find frustrating, that I haven't matured as much as I would have liked to. I can think of times when, you know, I've prayed a prayer of repentance about some aspect of my character, some pattern of sin in my life, and, um, you know, I've, I've, I've let something go, and uh, I've thought, that's it, I, I've moved on now, only to find myself turning back to that same attitude days later. And some of you might resonate with that. Stuff in your life that just keeps on coming back. And I guess what those things are is they are signs that, that we're perhaps not maturing as a disciple of Jesus as we would like to. And that's something that I hope that um, those of you, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we can agree that that's something that we'd love to change. Because, because if we don't mature in Christ, um, then, then we miss out on so much. I believe, I personally believe that we won't enjoy life as much if we don't become more and more like him each day, because that's what life to the fullness is. I think if we don't mature in Christ, we become less likely to attract people towards Jesus through our lives and our witness. And ultimately, I think we'll miss opportunities to fulfill our chief purpose on earth, which is to please God and bring him glory through our lives. So, so maturing in Christ is so important, so important. So what I think we're going to do tonight, if that's okay, is we're going to look at a couple of the mistakes that Jacob made over and over again, things that stunted his growth to maturity, because I think they're the kind of things that we do over and over again, and hopefully we'll come away with some bit of a game plan of how we can move on ourselves. So we're going to jump into um, Jacob's story again, round about chapter 32 in your Bible, just to set the scene. Um, what had happened to Jacob was that he, um, had found, he, he, he was estranged from his family because um, 20 years ago he had cheated his brother, his twin brother, out of this blessing, this birthright that belonged to him. And basically his brother was so annoyed that he wanted to kill Jacob. So Jacob had fled, and then after 20 years of life estranged from his family, God speaks to Jacob and says, 
you're to go back to your family, go back home. And Jacob was a little bit nervous about this, understandably, because last time he saw his brother, his brother was like, I am going to kill you, literally. Um, so, Jake, so Jacob, he sends some messengers ahead to tell Esau, his brother, that he's coming home. And then he sets off. And then this is what happened. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob, at this point, was a little bit scared. He continues a little bit later on. He, he realizes this could be bad. The 400-man hench mob is coming for me. So he prays. He says, O oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of the kindness and the faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two camps. You know, I've grown my family, my wealth has grown. But he prays, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So, J so Jacob, he prays this prayer, um, asking God to intercede, and then it continues. He spent the night there, and from what he had him, with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau, and it's a pretty big gift. I'll read it out. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows and 10 bulls, and 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. He put them in the care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, go ahead of me and keep some space between the herds. So this second bit, um, what Jacob was doing was, this was kind of one of his schemes again. He sends his servants off with all these extravagant gifts to try and sort of like butter up um, his angry brother and soften him up a little bit. It's a bit like, you know, have you ever done that thing where you, you buy somebody a present to, to sort of like disarm them if you've offended them in some way? Has anybody ever done that? I don't know. The other day I was walking, I bought a bunch of flowers for Abby. Um, and I was walking along Stapleford High Street with these flowers. And this lady, who I don't know, I didn't know her, but she looked at me and she just went, now, what have you done? Like that, and I was like, nothing actually. But anyway, all these donkeys and cows, that essentially was like a big bunch of flowers for his brother Esau. And so the evening draws in, and Jacob is now left alone, facing probably the most tense night of his life. I don't know if you can imagine what that must have been like, this, you know, this sort of mob of people um, coming towards you, not knowing what's going to happen. He's, he would have been exhausted at this point, but very anxious. And this certainly was not where he had hoped all of his schemes and his plans through his life would have ended him up. He was probably left wondering, so where did this all go wrong? I'm going to highlight a couple of mistakes that I think contributed to this disastrous scenario. First mistake, Jacob, time and time again, listened to people rather than listen to God. In the passage um, that we just read, we, we, I don't know if you noticed that Jacob explained how God had, had sent Jacob home and he had promised him that he would go with him and that he would prosper him when he got back home. So Jacob should and could 
have trusted that explicit promise from God. But when the messengers came back to him sort of in a panic saying, oh no, there's 400 people coming, it's pretty scary, Jacob suddenly took his eye off the ball and he panicked. And this wasn't the first time that Jacob had done this. Jacob was a sucker for bad advice. He'd been listening to bad advice all his life. In fact, this whole saga had started 20 years ago when his mum came up with this terrible plan um, to, for, for Jacob to trick Esau out of this inheritance. She'd explain to him, you know, that blessing, it may not belong to you, it belongs to your older brother, but if you're clever enough, if you're quick enough, you'll be able to snatch it for yourself. And that decision had landed Jacob in this, all this grief in the first place. And Jacob hadn't learned from that about uh, a few years later. Jacob listened um, to his wives um, rather than listen to the promises of God. And it's, generally, it's a good thing to listen to what your wife tells you to do, but not if it contradicts what God says in that very rare scenario. But see, what happened was God had, God had promised to Jacob, he said, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. That was the promise God had made, chapter 28 of Genesis, verse 13 and 14. But a little while after, Rachel, his wife, was struggling to conceive, and so she sort of hatches a counterplan. She said to Jacob, here is Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. And Jacob listened to her instead of trusting in God's promise. And this was the consistent pattern that we see in his life. He found himself, whenever he was sort of torn um, between between the clear instruction of God and the encouragement, the advice, the warnings of, of people in his life. And, you know, he sometimes struggled to choose rightly. And I think if we're honest, this is probably a struggle that, that most of us face at certain points in our lives. I mean, maybe not that exact example that he found himself with the servant um, lady. But I don't know if you've ever noticed that, that the advice that we get in this book conflict sometimes with the advice that we get from people around us. It, it clashes with the advice that we get from the media or from you know, the stuff that gets posted on fo Facebook. It definitely clashes with some of the advice that we get through, through advertising that comes towards us. And there's often you know, a competition for our attention. Um, I, I recently came across an advert um, for this um, thing, this, has anybody, this phrase, revenge body, the revenge body, has anybody heard of this? It's a bit of a, an exercise, sort of fitness program, a bit of a craze, I think, that started in America. Um, and basically, the idea is that if you break up with your boyfriend, you can take revenge on them by getting into really, really good shape um, so that then they will be you know, annoyed at what they are then missing out on. So essentially, the message of it is, you know, fight bitterness with vanity and hopefully instill jealousy. <laughs> and, you know, that, and that is, you know, maybe a particularly extreme example. But that's tip, that is, in a way, typical of the counsel of the world. It doesn't, it's hollow. It doesn't have any wisdom to it. And I think we have to ask, who is influencing us? Who do we listen to most? Who do you listen to? You know, when, when perhaps when your friends or your family are talking about church and they're saying, you know, it's nice that you're part of that thing, but at the end of the day, it really is all pie in the sky. I wouldn't take it too seriously. Or who do we listen to when, when our final financial advisor looks at our um, accounts and looks at our tithe and says, 
wow, if you were, that's a lot of money. If you were willing to be a bit flexible about that, you could really do something with that money. Who do you listen to when your boyfriend says, come on, it's, it's just sex. It's not hurting anybody, it's just fun. Who do you listen to when, when your mates say, you know, come on mate, just get these shots down you. That'll sort of loosen you up a little bit and make you more fun. Or perhaps when a colleague at work says, look, strictly speaking, we shouldn't do it this way, but honestly, it'll cut through all the red tape. Just sign the document and we'll, we'll, we'll wash it out. Thing is, I think if we ask enough people, or if we Google enough on the computer, there will be somebody somewhere saying the very thing our flesh wants to hear. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been in that situation where you ask somebody for advice and they, and they don't really give you the advice that you want, so, what, so you just go to somebody else who you think might be a little bit more sympathetic? Or perhaps have you ever done it where you, where you read something in the Bible and you think, man, really, I'm not, can that really be the case? And, and you go on Google to try and find somebody who's interpreting uh, the Bible the way that you want it to, that's a bit more sympathetic and easy. I think, don't get me wrong, I think it's very good to consider a range of perspectives and to take in a, you know, different counsel from different places. But at the end of the day, we need to ask, so what voice am I actually listening to most of all? And I think this really applies as well. Um, you know, even within, within the church, as we talk and encourage and advise one another, as we give counsel to one another, that's a great thing to do. But we need to you know, be careful that we do that wisely. And, and then the, the counsel that we give reinforces, not replaces the counsel in this book. And so, you know, think for example about the last time you gave somebody some advice. If we, if we find ourselves giving reams and reams of, of, of advice and counsel, but we're not considering what the Bible has to say about that, or we're not referring in some way to what we know about the Bible, making no reference, then, then, then there is a risk that, you know, despite having the best will in the world, that our, that our counsel can steer away from what God says. Or likewise, if you are on the receiving end of some advice or some counsel from somebody who you, you know, perceive to be wise, it's helpful to ask or consider, am I getting evidence that what you're saying actually ties in with the Bible? Is this person actually referring back to it in any way, shape, or form? Essentially to ask the question, am I listening to God, or am I just listening to the opinion of a person? Because if we want to mature in, in, in our faith, which is what we're talking about at the start, then we need to try and ensure that God's voice is the primary and the final and the growing influence in our lives. And that means that we need to start by, by reading this book day in, day out. It, it helps to do that because it will, it, will be, it will become the growing influence in our lives if we read it day in, day out. But I know that's, you know, quite, sometimes can feel quite um, dry. Sometimes it can feel almost a little bit boring. But over time, it stacks up and it works. And that's how we can be sure that we're listening to God rather than just listening to the opinions of people. So that was the first mistake Jacob made. Second mistake that, that I think he made was that he so often hedged his bets. Jacob was promised all these things by God in his life, but, but what he did time and time again 
he struggled to, to fully trust those promises and he, and he sort of like tried to make them happen himself. That's what he was doing essentially when he slept with his wife's servant. We see the same sort of hedge betting behavior when he had, he had all these dodgy dealings with his uncle. You can read about it in about chapter 30. It's, it's a really good story. But, but what was going on all the time was Jacob never really learned to fully trust Right up, to this, right up to the point where he had this fateful showdown with his brother Esau. Even in that crisis moment, did you notice that we saw this hedge betting again? Where on one hand, the first thing he did was he prayed. He said, Lord, I'm in trouble here. I need you to fulfill that promise that you gave me. But then immediately after that prayer, what did he do? He sent off this big bunch of flowers, all these gifts to Esau to try and sort of soften him up. It was a bit of a trick, a bit of a scheme. And I think this sort of hedge betting, this inability to really commit, I think that was the single biggest trait that left Jacob failing to mature in his walk with God. He knew God and he took God seriously. It's worth noting, for example, that, that Jacob, he never worshipped other gods, um, which was something that a lot of people in the Old Testament you know, struggled with. And we should acknowledge that. But there was always one big opponent competing for Jacob's motives, and it was Jacob himself. The struggle really came from within. It reminds me of a, of a conversation that I had with um, a friend who's part of this church recently, where she was reflecting back over her life as a Christian, and, um, and afterwards I said, oh, is there any chance what you just said, you just sort of write it down in an email, because I thought it would be really helpful to share it here. And this is what she, she wrote. She said, as I reflect back, I'm just very aware of having a relationship with faith and God that was more like that of an acquaintance rather than a friend. It was half-hearted, definitely hedging my bets, so to speak. One foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, unwilling to commit fully and lose my life. I had a picture more than once of Jesus knocking on the door, and I had gone through the door and was pretty much all the way through, but I'd kept my foot in the doorway to stop it closing fully behind me. By the way, whoever had that word today about the door being opened and just walking through it, I was like, wow, it's in the, it's in the notes. You, you are on it tonight, whoever you are. Freedom, she, she concluded, freedom came when I chose to take my foot away from the door. So I think that kind of struggle is typical of lots of our struggles, and it can be centered around many different parts of our lives. It might be you know, a struggle around something to do with a relationship, or something to do with our health, or our finances, issues around justice in our life and anger. It might be um, any number of things, but, but essentially there's always the same issue of, there's a temptation to not trust fully God with it, to hold part of that issue back from God. Really, all of these things, there's a battle at the heart of it about trusting God. And I think for Jacob, that really was the fundamental issue. That's why he was torn all these years. That's why he kept on, I don't know if you were here last couple of weeks ago, but talking about how he kept on getting stuck in these little monkey traps where he was reaching in and grabbing for something and then getting his hand stuck in the process. It was trust, a lack of trust that was the issue that caused him not to mature. So, 
Did, it, did, he, ever, did he ever get to move on? Well, he did. Eventually, um, things came to a head. And I'm going to read about that now, this crescendo. So, Jacob, chapter 32, verse 24. Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This is sort of a slightly confusing passage. You might be left wondering what is going on. I don't, you might have read that in the past and thought, what is all that about really? We get some insight into what went, happened, what went on in this encounter um, in the book of Hosea that was written centuries later, which summarized the wrestle in chapter 12, verse three. It says, in the womb, Jacob grasped his brother's heel. As a man, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. I think what's clear, although there's sort of aspects of mystery in this, in this wrestling match, what is clear is that this was not just a physical encounter. There was a crucial spiritual struggle being waged. And I think for us, we read it in, in this big context of Jacob's whole life, I think it's fair to say it was a bit of a climax, a bit of a finale of this lifelong struggle to trust God. But then the outcome of this wrestle is a little bit ambiguous, isn't it? You know, it says that Jacob overcame. But if we were to ask, did he win the wrestling match? Then I think we'd have to conclude, no, he didn't. Because, you know, if a guy staggers away, limping away from a wrestling match with a dislocated hip, it's fair to say that he wasn't, you know, triumphant. But on the other hand, there was some kind of victory in that encounter something that he overcame. Is it possible that you can win and lose at the same time? I guess it does sound a little bit topsy-turvy, but then there are things that are topsy-turvy often in the kingdom of God, aren't there? A lot of the things that Jesus said were topsy-turvy. Like in, in chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel 39, Jesus said, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. If you ask me, I think there was something of that verse in this encounter. Jacob did overcome, but I believe the enemy that Jacob overcame that night was himself, was his own flesh. Because he started the night doing the thing that he'd always done, wrestling and competing with God. But when he finally encountered his limits, and when he finally encountered God's infinite strength, he realized that this wrestling, this competing, was not gonna solve this problem. A chap called Frederick Buchner, um, an author and Presbyterian minister, he described this encounter as the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. I think that was the night where Jacob realized that he needed to leave this trickster, this grasper, this snatcher personality behind him once and for all, and instead, letting go of those things 
cling fast to God and plead for his blessing. And in that moment, I think he, he, he managed to do something that he'd failed to do his whole life. He matured in his relationship with God. It was the biggest step of maturity in his life. And the reason that I wanted to sort of share a little bit of it tonight is because I believe that for many of us, we do find ourselves at some point in this very same wrestle. You know, I mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago that we do need to be careful sometimes when we read the Old Testament, there's all these stories and, and we need to be careful that we don't just sort of like lazily assume that every single story is really all about us and we're sort of like the hero of these stories because a lot of them, you know, it's about something bigger, it's about what God is doing, it's about a whole nation of people. But um, as we kind of looked at the story a couple of weeks ago, I think we concluded that it is fair to say that actually Jacob's story in many ways represents the story of humanity. And this wrestling encounter is as much about humanity's wrestle with God as it is about Jacob's. It's also about our wrestle to truly trust God. It's about your wrestle and mine. And I think if we're not careful, just like Jacob, we can spend decades wrestling and wrestling and never really changing. Some of you, you know, you might feel like that this evening. You might feel like, you know, you've been a Christian for years, but there are just aspects of your character that just won't change. Or there are patterns of behavior that get repeated again and again. You might feel like you're stuck in a rut where you want to trust God. And perhaps you've turned to him and you've repented of stuff in the past and he set you free from one trap only for, only for you to fall into the next one days later. You might be in that place where you're asking yourself, how am I ever gonna break through this, really? And again, you know, that word that somebody gave this evening is so true that the Lord is capable of, of, of breaking through. When we feel like it's hopeless, he's bigger and he can bring us through these things if we desire to change. So if you're in that place and you're asking that question, how do I do this? Um, then I've got a few questions, just a few practical questions that you might want to ask yourself. I'll just whistle through these and then we'll, we'll spend some time praying together. So first question, am I actually aware of the things that I struggle to trust God with? First thing you know, we need to establish is what, what are my issues? And for you, um, it may be that you need to spend a bit of time reflecting um, to really sort of land on that. It might be helpful to consider some of the issues that Jacob had. Um, like he, you know, he had this desire always to sort of cling and reach for stuff instead of promising God. He had this constant desire to scheme and try and make plans rather than wait and be patient for God's plans. He struggled again, if you remember, with this listening to other people rather than listening to God's voice. And a lot of the time he was hedging his bets, wasn't he, rather than banking on God's promises. Have you been on that journey of figuring out what the wrestles in your life are? And if not, I'd suggest maybe you spend a bit of time starting there. Perhaps, perhaps book a day off work, go on a retreat, you, a Bible, and God, and just spend some time asking the Lord through the Holy Spirit to, to give you insight into what it is that you need to, to sort of struggle through. Second question, am I surrounding myself with people who will cheer me on from my corner. 
Jacob faced that wrestle, wrestle that night in isolation alone, but I believe that that was because he had isolated himself. And I believe that we needn't do that. This is why we have the church. God, or one of the reasons why the church exists, I should say. I wanna ask, have you got trusted friends in your life with whom you can be truly open and accountable? And if, if you haven't, I'd encourage you to try and invest in relationships that have the potential to be that. If you're not part of a small group, join a small group. Go to the Connect area, try one out this week because they're the most amazing environment where you can be known and know others. And it might be that there might be one or two people in that group that you really connect with, with whom you can be truly open and accountable and people who will support you in the wrestle. So I'd encourage you to do that. Third question Am I intentionally confronting the issue? In Jacob's life, the confrontation um, was postponed because Jacob kept on going around in circles and not actually engaging with it. And in, in, in the end, God had to force the encounter. God had to come to Jacob. That's how it came to a head. And I think that's perhaps why Jacob ended up with this hip injury that he needn't perhaps have had if he'd have listened to God in the first place. Perhaps this third question is about asking for yourself, what would it take for me to really confront the issues, the wrestles in my life? What's that gonna look like? Um, I was really inspired by the example of um, a few weeks ago, a chap called Dave Ellis shared some of his story from the stage. If you remember, you can look it up on the, on the website. And Dave, um, he had this wrestle for a number of years that he talked about where um, he had um, a real sort of ambition to have a particular role in, um, in his vocation, in his employment, and that was really important to him. And it kind of got wrapped up with his identity um, until you know, he went on this journey of realizing, ah, that's, that's, that's a thing that I'm wrestling with. That's the thing that I'm holding back from God. And um, the thing that I love about Dave and Sarah was that once they sort of like got to that point, they confronted this issue. They made some really big, bold decisions about their jobs and they, and they made changes in their lives that kind of made themselves completely vulnerable but also um, made themselves open to God leading them through this wrestle. And Dave, he came through it. Um, you should listen to his story. But the thing that I love was the way he confronted it. He asked the question, what's it gonna take to push through this wrestle? And I'd encourage you to, to do the same. Once you've identified what your wrestle is, whether it's you know, issues around your identity like, like that, like Dave, or whether it's something else, an addiction, an issue of anger, what would confronting it look like? Got um, question four, there's two more of these. Am I listening to God in the wrestle? You know, the thing that disrupts our trust in the Lord is always, it's always conflicting advice and messages. You know, whether that comes from people around us or whether, um, as, it, as does happen, whether it comes actually from, from the devil. In the Bible, we see that, 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 that Satan, the devil, he, he whispers lies in our ear. Ever since the Garden of Eden, that's what he's been doing to disrupt our trust in the Lord. It's the devil that whispers to us that, you know, oh, you're not really good enough to do this thing or that issue that you've got that you keep on sinning you, never, you haven't got the strength to get through that. And he whispers these lies to us. And they come every day. And that's why we need to counter that every day by reading this book, because there's nothing but truth in here. 
And when the devil says, oh, you're not good enough, you can't get through that, this book says, no, you're a new creation. You're more than conquerors. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There's cool stuff like that. So are we listening to God in the wrestle? And the best way to do that is keep reading that book. Finally, final question. Are you ready for God to come close? Things finally changed for Jacob when he engaged with God at close quarters. I mean, you can't get much closer physically than a wrestling match, can you? You can imagine, you know, like when you're wrestling a person face to face, their sweat is kind of in your sweat and it's all a bit probably disgusting in a way, and sweat, tears, mud. Just consider for a moment how much God cared for Jacob that he was willing to come down to his level and wrestle with him in the dirt. It's amazing, isn't it? And I think it's amazing that, that we, can, we can also know that God is willing to do just the same for you and for me. He has demonstrated that he's willing to come down to our level, to engage with the mud and the dirt, because he demonstrated that in the person of Jesus. This sort of wrestler, this wrestling encounter, I think in a way, it's kind of got something of Jesus about it. It's a bit of a foreshadow of the incarnation of Jesus. When he came to earth, he came down to the dirt and he got face to face with humanity and he laid his life down so that we too might overcome. But in order to overcome, we need to engage and we need to get close to him and we need to get vulnerable and we need to reach that point where all we're doing is clinging on to him and asking for his blessing. So, hopefully those questions are useful. Before we move into ministry, I'll just tell you how the story ends. Um, Jacob comes away from this um, wrestling match. He wakes up um, and he sees his brother Esau approaching. Um, and um, to his surprise, his brother comes in peace. And the two of them, they're reconciled, and Jacob is saved and he's blessed. Um, but it's worth noting that that night, it didn't define the end of Jacob's suffering or the difficulty in his life. Jacob also, he wasn't perfect after that moment. He, he made mistakes subsequently in his life, but he was a changed man. There was something fundamental that changed in his personality that night. He was no longer the grasper. He was no longer the trickster. And afterwards, he walked with a limp, that dodgy hip, a reminder that he had reached the end of himself and in his frailty, realized that he needed God, that the only way to overcome was to trust in God's strength, in God's presence, God's blessing.